0: Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is The Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good morning, everybody. Today is Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. And welcome to The Muni Lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. Today, we are continuing our series of guest speakers, that we, which we call State of Play. And today we have Jeff Prevedi Vice Chair of GASB, which the full name is Governmental Accounting Standards Board. Jeff, welcome to our show. Hi, nice to be with you. Great to have you here. And we also, we also have on the line, the one and only head of our municipal research department, Greg Clark. Greg, welcome back. Good morning, young, thank you. All right. Let me give a brief bio of Jeff and I will give the floor to Greg. Uh, Jeff is currently on his second term as vice chair of GASB, and your term, I believe, concludes in June of 2026, and you began serving as a member of GASB back on July 2016. And previous to that, you have served in a variety of roles for more than two decades at Standard & Poor's Rating Service, now known as SCP Global Ratings. So Jeff, welcome to our show. And you and I had spoken earlier, and it was interesting how this is the governmental Accounting Standards Board, but yet you are the only non-accountant on the board.
1: That's correct. Yes. So I'm the only non-CPA on the board.
0: Very interesting. Probably gives a different perspective.
1: Well, yeah, I guess I um, I, I learn a lot about accounting and I think also the board and staff also learn hopefully a lot about how users view the financial statements that are, that are generated. And I think that's their that's their main interest in having that user perspective.
0: Well, absolutely fascinating. But I look forward to a good show. I'm going to step aside, and Greg, it's all yours.
2: Thank you, Jim. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's good to to know that we have a user's perspective on the board. Most of the uh, most of our listeners to this podcast, I'm guessing, are are users of financial statements in one way or the other. Uh, Gatsby, I know, has. Uh, I remember I'm I've been around long enough to remember when Gatsby was formed. As I recall, it was an outgrowth. There, there was some kind of similar body that was in existence around the time of the New York City fiscal crisis, which, which then developed into Gasby. Which, if I'm correct, Jeff, uh, Gasby was formed in 1984.
1: That's correct. Greg.
2: As I said, I've been around for a while. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, can you give us a little bit more detail about GASB and its mission and how it's evolved in the last? Well, since 1984.
1: Sure, Greg. Um, happy to. So, as you correctly point out, we were formed in 1984. Um, we are actually not a government organization, which a lot of people uh, mistakenly think we are. We are a private, independent, not-for-profit set up under the auspices of something called the Financial Accounting Foundation, um, and they are provide uh, oversight, and they actually uh, select uh, the board members. And uh, your listeners may be familiar with our sister board, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, which sets uh, accounting standards for uh, corporate entities. So what we do is we set generally accepted accounting principles for state and local governments in the US, or as we know it, GAAP for short. So we have a seven member board, and as Young pointed out, I am the only non-accountant on the board. I am there to bring uh, help to bring the user perspective, because obviously users of financial statements are an important constituency for the board, they're very interested in understanding how their standards will be used, because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that they are going to be effective for what they try to do. So each board member brings their own uh, background and experience and perspective. We have state and local auditors, we have a state and state and local preparer, we have a private auditor, we have an academic, and then we have, as I said, the user representative. So GASBY is very, very interested in uh, due process with our standard setting activities, right? So yeah. we like to go out mm-hmm. and, right, and solicit feedback on our proposals because we don't believe we can, you know, in a vacuum from Norwalk, Connecticut, create standards in a vacuum, right? So we solicit due process from folks such as your listeners, such as you, Greg, And we're very interested in hearing about that feedback. And I think over time, you know, it's interesting, our legitimacy as it is, is really derived from the states themselves, right? The the state governments that agreed that, you know, our standards should be uh, utilized by their governments and the marketplace itself, which is why we're so interested in making sure that our standards have that input so that we can make uh, the very best decisions.
2: I understand you have some... uh projects underway, at least one in particular that you would like to discuss? Well,
1: yeah, you know, um, Gasby always has fairly active agenda. And as I mentioned, you know, the board is always interested in uh, feedback. And so we do have uh, at least, well, we, at any one time, we have several projects out for comment. And we are working on three particularly noteworthy projects. Uh, one is on what we call the disclosure framework. So that is about notes to the financial statements, which are obviously a topic of great interest uh, to users because a lot of information contained in the notes. And so the board undertook some research because there's always been this view that sometimes uh, governments believe that there's too much information contained in the notes, that users aren't using it, uh, and that it's burdensome to prepare. And on the flip side, you have users that uh, highly value the notes and uh, seem to always be interested in more information. So the board undertook some research and decided that the path to take was uh, what we call a concept statement. And this is not a document that is about counting standards. It's a, a document that guides the board in future standard setting. So from that perspective, it's pretty important. So we put out a proposal early last year, received feedback, um, and then, uh, because of that feedback and because of some differing point of views, we actually just re-exposed that document within the past couple of days. And so it'll be interesting. And I'm here to, you know, as a, you, you know, with my user perspective to encourage users to, um, to provide comments to that document, which you can obtain from the, from the GASB website. Because I think it may put some requirements on that we I want users to understand what those what the board will be thinking about before they approve future disclosures in future standard setting documents. And so the proposal came out, and then when we re-deliberated, the board added a few more. And so it's that's that that description of what is, as we describe it, essential for users to understand in note disclosures. That's really what we're interested in obtaining feedback on. So that's one one big project we're working on. A couple of others, um, Greg, that you're probably familiar with. One is our financial reporting model project. So this is a project to take a look at areas of uh, what we call our financial reporting model. You can simply think of it as the financial statements that a state or local government would prepare. And we are really focusing on several things, but probably the most significant is governmental funds um, within financial reporting. you know, GASB 34, Greg, you were around long enough to remember the impact GASB 34 had with the advent of government-wide financial statements. Uh, the governmental funds haven't really been looked at in a comprehensive way um, since then. And so this project is the attempt to do that. And one of the things the board is thinking about is you know, what perspective should those governmental funds take? Currently, they take what's called a short-term perspective, right? So. Longer term assets and liabilities don't appear on the fund statements. They appear on the government-wide. And so um, the board, but there is some inconsistencies now in terms of how governments can show that short-term perspective. So the board put out a proposal uh, again last year to sort of create a consistent short-term perspective. But what was interesting is we had a whole lot of, a whole lot of due process. We held public hearings, we had user forums, we received hundreds of comment letters there doesn't appear to be um, much of a consensus among stakeholders as to um, what that perspective should be. There are some who believe it, it should be a long-term perspective, just like the government-wide. There are those who believe it should be a short-term perspective, but even a shorter-term perspective than the board proposed. And so it's going to be interesting when we uh, now we have gotten all this feedback. Now the board Commences to redeliberate all these points. It'll be interesting to see how the board um, works its way through all this feedback and decides a path forward for governmental funds. The other interesting thing, I think, you oh, go ahead, Greg.
2: I'm guessing that one of the issues that occurs is that because there are as everybody everyone knows, 50 states plus all of our many territories, the revenue structure of Any one state is not duplicated by another, so you have different criteria for revenue collection. You don't even have the same taxes that are collected in every state. Some states have no income tax, no income tax, and within or among states, there are there can be wide differences in uh, uh, procedures for collections of property tax and sales tax. So it's it's tough to come up with one standard, I would guess. That's
1: true. I mean, the one area where GASB had set sort of a rule of, of the road were property taxes, right? So property taxes had this thing, what's called a, a period of availability, right? So revenues could be shown in those um, governmental funds for a period of up to 60 days after the financial statement date, right? So that was that was within standards, but for other revenues, like you're talking about sales taxes, income taxes, there was no delineated period of availability each government had the ability to set their own period of availability and as you point out greg states you know and 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 governments have different and varied revenue sources and if they're showing those revenues and even if you're looking at two governments that have a similar revenue source one government may be showing a 180 day availability period one government may be showing a 60-day availability period. So comparability is hindered when you have maybe those differences in approach, right? So that was one of the main things that the board was seeking to correct, was to make it so that there would be one consistent one consistent uh, benchmark. The problem is that there isn't a lot of consensus from stakeholders as to what that threshold should be. <laughs> and so that's where it's going to be up to the board now to consider you know these various aspects and and come come to a conclusion about you know what should be that what what how are we going to define that shorter
2: term perspective right and, and any given local government or state government uh under one assumption could show a hefty fund balance and uh under another assumption could probably show a fund deficit and then that, that gets reported that goes to the rating agencies that goes to the market and that's the kind of thing that you're trying. Obviously, you're, it's got to be as comparable as possible, I would think. But your job is made more difficult because of the factors that we, that we discussed, where uh, it's very difficult to set standards among, uh, among states that have so many different standards. Yeah. And I think also, too, Greg, what you're
1: saying points up the also you know, who are the users, whether it's going to be folks like municipal bond analysts, who may have a and, and do have a good understanding of accounting rules versus other users of financial statements who may not have as much of a grounding, right? Whether that be citizen groups, whether that be the, the, the legislative groups, legislative bodies, others who who use the financial statements. And so how uh, those financial statements are, you know what they're communicating and how they're communicating, I think is important. And that's one of the things that the board is looking at very carefully because there are uh, many stakeholders out there who are concerned that you know information is being misunderstood in the governmental funds because of the lack of the presence of these other longer-term liabilities, right? So how that can be dealt with is something I know the board will be thinking
2: about carefully. Yeah, because sometimes you see reporting that says uh, that equates an issuance of bonds with uh, a deficit. Now there are deficit financing bonds, but that's normally not what a given reporter or other observer is means when they say uh, fifty million dollars in bonds says that uh, the government has a fifty million dollar deficit, and that's the kind of kind of thing that confuses people.
1: Yeah, I mean, in other things, it also gets a little bit confusing because you know within that shorter term perspective, for example, the issuance of bonds is reflected, right? Greg is as another financing source, that does not mean it's a revenue, <laughs>
2: right.
1: Right. right? So uh, folk, folks uh, sometimes get confused and, and communicating. And so, hey, th- uh, what are you saying? Are you saying that, you know, the issuance of bonds constitutes revenue? No, that's not what the financial statements are showing, right? But that's an example of how something can be um, can be misunderstood.
2: Yeah, and, 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 and issuers uh, are, are sometimes fond of uh, of saying they have have uh, a fund balance after they've issued bonds that go after they've issued deficit funding bonds. Say, oh, look, we have a fund balance now.
1: <laughs> That's where sharp-eyed analysts like uh, you, Greg, are going are gonna to note that, right? <laughs> we, we do
2: our best. Um, in terms of this might be a good time to talk about the MDNA, the management discussion and analysis. Uh, I think that is one of your um, uh, current or envisioned projects. Well,
1: actually, Greg, yeah, that is actually a part of this financial reporting model that I've talked to you about. So as we talked about the governmental funds, a a big, important part of that. Another aspect of the model, and like I said, there's a half a dozen or so different areas the board is looking at. But one of the other more more noteworthy areas is improvements in MD&A. MD&A been in place in uh, government financial statements for a while, there is some concern though that it's become a little bit too uh, boilerplate, uh, a little bit too standardized. And so what the board did with this proposal was propose some ways to make the MDNA more analytic, uh, less a description about what the changes were, you know, revenues up X percent, uh, expenses up y percent. But rather a discussion of why this is happening, what those trends are what are what are what are the sort of the analytics behind it and I, I know Greg in my background as a as a bond rating analyst, you know what management you know these are the types of questions I 'd be asking management and they'd be answering, and so what I view uh, the mDNA really as being a sort of a, a window for users of financial statements into management, and that's what i I'd, I'd like to try to make that MDNA be as as good as it can be to impart that sort of information to uh, readers of the financial statements, like what's really going on with this government, what are they concerned about, what are the trends, what is happening, why why do they think those trends are happening? And I think that would be I think it would be useful to the governments to educate their readers about that, and I think it'd be useful to those
2: uh, to those readers. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's become uh, as, as the phrase goes, kind of an elevator analysis, you know. This is up, this is down uh, without much context or explanation mm-hmm. uh, as to why. Yeah.
1: And then the last thing, the last big project, which I'll just briefly mention, is a project we're working on called Revenue and Expense Recognition. And as, as its name connotes, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty big project, right? When you're talking about the basics like revenues and expenses. And we put out a preliminary view last year. So this project is one step behind where the financial reporting model is. But it's also another project where we got a lot of feedback and we're really taking a look at some areas of longstanding GASB guidance where there really isn't a lot of guidance as to how to reflect revenues consistently, how expenses should be re- recognized consistently. So that's, that's going to be a project, you know, going to take a little bit t- of time for us to work on. But when it, when it ultimately emerges, we'll have, um, a significant impact on financial reporting.
2: Right. How about uh, your technology initiatives?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, something we want to talk about, right? Because obviously technology is afe- affecting every aspect of our lives, right? And of course, um, for GASB, technology has um, an impact as well. And it has an impact on two fronts. One, you know, we talk about the projects, for example, that we were just talking about and how we went out for comment and are seeking comments and how that feedback uh, can be obtained by the board is something that we're thinking about. You know, traditionally the way that the board got feedback on its proposals was through a comment letter. You know, uh, a respondent would choose to comment on whatever aspects of a proposal that it wanted to and it would send the board a comment letter. The board is also thinking about ways to perhaps expand the way that that feedback can be obtained. So for example, we're gonna be piloting other ways such as surveys to be able to solicit feedback. So a respondent doesn't necessarily have to craft an exposure letter, rather they can respond to certain inquiries that the board may have on certain aspects of proposals. So again, you know, from a user perspective. And I think it's the case that, you know, when the board puts out stuff for comment, the least frequent type of comment we commenter we get are users, we typically get a lot of feedback from preparers, we get a lot of feedback from auditors, less feedback from users. So we want to try to, we want to try to change that. And technology may be a way that we can do that by, you know, reaching people where they are, right. And thinking about ways that we can make it simpler, and more compact how they can choose to analyze and comment on our proposals. Cause maybe they don't care about certain aspects of the proposal, but maybe they very much do care about other aspects, right? And so we can target those aspects and allow them to provide their input. So that's one area of technology. In other words, how we obtain feedback, but then there's another area of technology, Greg, regarding the consumption of financial reports. You know, today, Right now, many governments, right, produce PDF documents that I'm sure you and your analytic work go and download hundreds of pages long PDF documents. And it's sometimes difficult, right, to efficiently grab the data that that one is seeking, right? And so when you compare that and think about ways that, for example, on on the FASB side, where they have something called XBRL, which is Corporations provide machine-readable data on all these aspects of their financial reporting that can be then downloaded and analyzed however the user wants to analyze it. So there's you know certainly a lot of discussions happening in our world. I think there's a there's a uh, you know uh, pro- project afoot called Muni XBRL trying to get. Um, local uh, you know local and state governments interested in providing information in this way because it's going to be a way we think of the future right right where everything is going to be things like artificial intelligence and using ways to analyze data and it's extremely hard right when you have it all that data contained in in PDFs and pictures embedded in PDFs it's much harder the, the issue for GASB, right is what what our role should be, if any, in that consumption of financial reports. Because historically, we haven't really dictated presentation of the financial reports. In other words, we have fairly basic rules about how a government chooses to display which line item in which order. And you know, when you're into a world of artificial intelligence, having much more uh, order and how information is presented is probably going to be important. So this is all going to be bound up in. There's going to be potentially costs for governments, and what are the benefits for users, and who's going to lead this effort. So it is an area that the board is thinking about and and you know trying to be actively engaged in and working with others so that we can make a
2: contribution that is appropriate for us. One of the other things I found interesting uh, that Gatsby has, I think. Uh on your research agenda is the idea of interim financial reports. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, so in addition to, you know, the the projects that we have on our agenda and some of which we talked about, the board is also looking to the future and has what you what you accurately call our research agenda. So these are projects that the board and, and staff are researching to decide if there is a um, If there is a, you know, potential standard setting project to be looked at there. And so you mentioned one on interim financial reports. You know, this is an area that, you know, as coming from a user background, I always hear about the interest in interim financial reports, uh, any, any information we can get from these entities we want to receive. And right now there are no gap standards on the GASB side for interim financial reports. So if you as a government choose to put out, something called an interim financial report you basically can choose whatever information you want to set out so the question has come up from some stakeholders you know should there be uh, standards uh, that uh, that exist for interim financial reports now the idea isn't that gasby would mandate interim financial reports rather they would continue to be voluntary but if a government chose to put out an interim financial report should there be Gap standards that exist as to what sort of information should be um, should be put out. So there's really sort of two sides to this, and I'm sure we're going to hear some of that as we uh, as we examine this research. You know, on one hand, having standards could make those reports more consistent and comparable, right? So that we would have, uh, you know, users would have um, better information in order to make comparisons. But on the flip side, I think there's a a lot of concern among certain stakeholders that you know starting to put rules and requirements on interims might make it less likely that that governments would choose to put out in interims since they are doing it voluntarily so there is that concern it could lead to to fewer interim financial reports but again i sort of view it too that it really depends on on what those requirements are right because in a sense if if those requirements um, are not difficult, then in fact, it could incentivize more interim financial reporting, right? If governments look at those standards that emerge and say, well, that's something we can do because as you know, Greg, right? I think it's a there's a tremendous interest in um, in users and analysts to be able to get those interim financial reports, particularly coming off of a period like we did with COVID, right? Where there was a great deal of uncertainty and folks are really interested in getting
2: information however they could exactly because uh, the way things are now you know if even if a local government is current on its audits uh, let's say within six months of the end of a fiscal year the information you get is still six months old and uh, that's that's where interim financials could could come in handy and and some places do this um, willingly other places do not it, a lot of it has to do I think with the size of their budget staff, the resources, the local or state government um, commits to budgeting and, uh, and, and financial reporting. And that is all over the place. I mean, some places do it well, some places don't do it well. I'm not going to name any names.
1: Mm-hmm. The other area of the research agenda that I think might be uh, and will be of interest to a lot of uh, stakeholders is capital asset reporting. Uh, you know, capital assets appeared through GASB 34 on the government wide statements. Um, board hasn't really, in a comprehensive way, examined capital assets um, since then. And you know, there's a lot of interest, as you know, Greg, on things like uh, infrastructure. Uh, certainly a lot of topic of conversation today, issues around deferred maintenance of infrastructure. How capital assets should be accounted for right now, There's they're accounted for right using a historical cost and depreciation model. There is this ability to do something called the modified approach, right, where a government would set a certain standard for their capital asset. And as long as they expended the money they felt was necessary to maintain an asset at that standard, they didn't have to depreciate it. But that's not too frequently used. And so the board is going to be taking a look at this topic comprehensively and thinking about things like infrastructure and it raises some interesting questions, right? Like deferred maintenance. You know, is there a liability for deferred maintenance? If there is, who's the liability to? Is it really a liability to the government itself? And, uh, you know, can these deferred maintenance uh, issues, can they be measured consistently? Because as we know, you know, these projects and uh, capital assets vary from, state to state, and can states, do they have the capability to measure them consistently? So it will be a very interesting research topic, and both of these topics are going to be coming to the board probably within the next six months to a year, and the board then considers that information and then determines whether a standard-setting project is uh, is warranted.
2: So the first step would will, will be to decide whether a, there should be a standard-setting process if the board decides, yes, there should be a standard setting process, what's the next step? Exposure draft or a concept statement?
1: Well, no, typically for a standard setting project, the board will take a look at the research and then there will be a project um, prospectus. And the board will vote on whether we think a standard setting project will commence. And typically that's going to be because the research has indicated that there's a need for it. And the research also indicates that there is improvements that we can make. In other words, we think that there is a path forward. To improved financial reporting here. There's a there's a not only an, an issue or problem, but there's also a better solution. So then the board would approve the project. And then, Greg, it d- depend, it'll it'll go down the project path. And depending on its complexity of the project and its comprehensiveness, it'll have varying levels of due process. Right? So a straightforward project may have just one round of due process, maybe an exposure draft. We put it out for comment. Um, and then, um, then uh, the board would proceed to a final statement. Whereas some of these other projects we're talking about will have several rounds uh, of due process. So, For example, the financial reporting model we talked about, we came out with an in, in, uh, invitation to comment, which laid out some alternatives. The board digests the feedback. We come out with a preliminary view where the board is now coalescing around a particular view. We get stakeholder feedback. And then the board issues an exposure draft. And then after that exposure draft, we issue a final statement. So it really depends on how complex that project is as to how, what path it takes and and the rounds of due process.
2: Okay.
0: Got it. Wow. That sounds very interesting, Jeff. We're sort of at at the end of our time. And I want to thank you for participating in today's podcast. And uh, we hope to see you again. I appreciate the opportunity, Young. Greg, thank you very much. And that is our show for today. Many thanks to Jeff Previti of GASB and Greg Clark, Head of Research at DebtWire Municipals. And always to our listeners out there who tune in week after week for the latest on distressed Mini Debt on The Meaning Lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. Take care, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks for listening to The Meaning Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.